So today's topic, everybody's got in Egypt. I was praying for the church and on uh, Friday night, did anybody get caught in that snowstorm right at rush hour? I mean, we were trying to get from, River, uh, from Minnetonka over to River Falls, Wisconsin for a son's basketball game, and we got caught in that snowstorm right at rush hour. We left early. We're cutting the back way through Bloomington to Parallel 494, doing all the tricks. And uh, in short, it took us three hours to get there, which normally takes an hour. And so we're sitting in traffic, and, I, and uh, we picked up another basketball player in Bloomington. We ended up missing halftime or missing the first half, and Jake played the second half. But we're sitting on 94 from Hudson to, or from Woodbury to Hudson, just in gridlock, not moving. And uh, just can't see, poor visibility, the whole thing. And I, I was kidding with the kids. I'm going, you want to know what hell like? Hell is going to be like? Or, you know, not that we're going there. But, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, you think about, you know, what that would be like. And I just said, this is what it's like sitting in gridlock, not moving, never arriving, and it lasts for all of eternity. And uh, just stressful drive. You know, people are trying to do all the different things they do when they get stressed. But, you know, it's always easy when you're going through a storm or you're moving into the next season to look in the rearview mirror, and it always looks a little bit clearer out the rearview mirror. And uh, during that time of that trip Friday night, there's a tendency to say, wouldn't it be just easier to go back? Wouldn't it be easier just to turn around? Wouldn't it be easier just to kind of look back to a situation or a time where there was calm and there was peace and we were away from the storm and all those things? And uh, I want to encourage you in a couple things this morning. And uh, relate in the, in the kingdom how the Israelites had, they had numbers of rearview mirrors that they did, but four key kind of rearview mirror experiences they, they did. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit, and then we'll talk about Bridgewood, and now we're moving forward in this next season, okay? All right, so really quickly, I believe in using a lot of Scripture because I believe in the public reading of the Word. Uh, when it talks about Scripture, it has uh, the power to separate the bone and the marrow, the quickening, and to do all those things for us. So that's why you'll see me move really quickly, but this presentation is yours to keep. You can have the notes, you can print it out, you can distribute it any way you want. You know, I'm reminded, uh, too, of that song by Springsteen. Anybody that listened to Springsteen in those, those years? I never did, but, you know, I've heard of people that did. <clears throat> no, but I like the song Glory Days, right? When he, when he sings that song about you know, the, the guy he meets in a bar from high school, and uh, the, all the guy talks about is what they did in high school on the football team. But everybody's got an Egypt or a time in their life or where they resonate. They look back to that. Uh, the marathon wasn't one of mine. Uh, but I remember playing baseball, and that was back in Little League when they threw all the 9-year-olds to the 12-year-old span in the same team. Uh, now they separate it, so you have 9, 10. But, man, if you were a 9-year-old going against and batting against a 12-year-old pitcher that could throw the heat... I mean, that was pretty intimidating, but I remember striking out half the season, my first season, and then finally one day I'm going against this guy, one of the Nosek brothers, there was like six of them, but he just threw stinking heat all the time, and I went two for two, and uh, that was a game I remember all my life. I don't live there, but it's just an example of a metaphor of we look back at times, and we can have that in our church experience as well, where we look back at a season in church where everything was moving and secure and felt great, and we were there. But, beloved, through our whole lives, God always takes us through different windows, takes us into different circles, 
takes us into different trajectories. Why? So we depend on him, but also because he has greater experiences for the church. So let's look at four quick ones for the Israelites and what they did when they pulled the rearview mirrors. The first one is this. When they're camped or they're pinned by the sea, in Exodus 14 and verses 11 and 12, they grumble back. They say, they said to Moses, it's because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Uh, what have you done to us by bringing us out to Egypt? Now, the thing in this chapter that gets set up in this time is that, <clears throat> ironically, in verse 2 of the same chapter, God says, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of the sea. So he actually, they were going somewhere else. And the Lord directs Moses to actually have them turn and go camp by the sea so the actual power of God can be demonstrated. And again, Moses comes back and says to the people after they go, you know, are we going to die here in Egypt? The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. So the theme that I would put in this section that they did is that looking back when we need a breakthrough. How many times when we feel like we're up against the wall that we start to look back and we pull the rearview mirror? Again, in the area of time, I'll just keep going and then come back and wrap on these a little bit more. Number two is when they're hungry in the desert. In Exodus 16 and verses 2 to 3, the situation is they're not getting the food they want. They're bored. <clears throat> they come back and they say this, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt? when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full, and you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The response back from the Lord, it says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are uh, to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. <clears throat> Again, the, the key part of that is the test. And then in Exodus 16.20, it says this, However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Um, they kept part of the bread until morning, and it was full of maggots, and they began to smell. And so, mag- so Moses was angry with them. And again, it just shows a demonstration of in our lives how there's the daily sustenance of how we need to depend on God. And when we try to always figure out what's coming up in the next season, what it's going to look like, how it's going to shape, how it's going to form, what's the vision going to be, how it's going to manifest out. I mean, the Lord has taken my family and I through a real... Uh, you know, unique season. Um, so out of college, 10 years, worked with Coca-Cola for full-time as a chemist and a quality assurance manager. Loved that job. Then I switched and went into ministry full-time for almost 10 years. And in 2008, executive pastor in uh, City Hill Fellowship in Eden Prairie. And the Lord speaks to my heart, I want you to resign your position. And he put these rumblings on our, our hearts. And I'm like, okay, God, resign my position and do what? Nothing. No, no words, nothing. And so I said, okay, God. At the beginning of 2009, I resigned my position. Uh, the church was floored. Um, everyone around us was like, you know, are you kidding me? I mean, you're going to resign out into a time when there's the worst economic job situation. You don't know where you're going. It was very much like an Abraham call. Just, I want you to stop. I want you to step out. I want you to move. And uh, even in that season, I mean, there's a lot of emotions that go on, but uh, the short of it is that it caused us a lot to just totally depend on God day to day to day for our provision. Um, you know, the, the long story is I went back and I work in uh, the food industry again now, but I still minister 
uh, as I'm doing now. I sit on a number of advisory boards, but God was so faithful through that season, and that's a story in and of itself, but the reliability of looking back in seasons of insecurity, so if you want to hit that next one, is the theme in this part where it's real easy to always look back and go, God, did I hear you right? Did I make the right call? Did I step out? Because there's a lot of those times where you feel like you hear God, you act on faith, and there's always an opportunity to always look back to the Egypt that you're familiar with. The third one is this, camp by the mountain, by the Mount Sinai. And you set up that part of the story. Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days. He's not coming down. People don't know where he is. They're growing impatient. And it states this. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And again, they bring their gold, their earrings, their silver, all that stuff. Aaron fashions it and says he took what they had handed him and they made it into an idol. And they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And again, the uh, theme in this part is looking back when we're impatient with God's timing. And then starting to let other idols sneak into your life. I can tell you in that season where I was, I was out of work for a year as far as like a secure job with benefits and all these things. I did anything I could to take care of my family from still speaking itinerantly to working a UPS driver helper from um, Thanksgiving to Christmas that year. And I remember going up to some of these homes. I was on the Lake Minnetonka route. Some of these homes would get packages every day. And uh, their front doors are probably worth more than half of my house on these elaborate homes on the lake. And I remember sitting on the UPS truck, bouncing through that things, and, you know, the heaters and those things are not very good. It's like a rolling refrigerator in the wintertime on a day like today. And just going, my God, what do you have me doing here? What on earth am I doing? And, I mean, I was clipping along. I had it, you know. Chemist, Coca-Cola, great job, moved into ministry. And, by the way, I didn't know you had an exec position open, so... Depending on how this turns out today, right, you know? <laughs> Wouldn't it be unique, you know, the churches, kind of like uh, America's Funniest Home Videos, you have a little voting thing on the back of your chair. Okay, are we going to vote this guy in or not? <laughs> but there were so many seasons at times in that, in that, that where God just was faithful and took care of us. But uh, I was really impatient going, God, okay, what is it? What's the next move? I mean, what are we doing in this season? And... Uh, I'll come back and and talk about how the season really impacted a number of other people. And the last time, uh, last example I'll use where the Israelites struggle is in uh, the book of Numbers. And this is when God is telling them to enter the new land and to go into the next season that he has for them. So I'll set the story up. If you're unfamiliar with it, the Lord has Moses send spies into the next land to check it out. Check out the fields, check out the people, check out the cities, check out the soil, check out the fruit of the land. And they come back, and two of them say, this is good, we can do it. And the other ten say, no, we can't. In Numbers 13, 32, it says, And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land, and they explored. And they said, The land we explored devours everything living in it. And all the people we saw were of great size. You can just imagine the guys that are bringing back this report, you know, have some kind of Scottish accent going on at the same time, right? Like, all manner of things are there, big creatures. The men are just huge. We can't do anything there. 
we might as well just stay here and camp. We can't go forward anymore. We got to live this stuff, huh? The blokes are huge. The response of the Israelites then, they come back to Moses and Aaron and they say, The whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. And why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. <coughs> Excuse me. And it would have been better for us to go back to Egypt. And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The theme in this section is looking back in fear of the next season or the next step. Again, there's been a lot of times where I've changed in seasons, and there's always the opportunity when you're in that next season with God to look back. And uh, probably at my lowest time during the whole job change and going through not identifying with what God was doing, I would go back, and Mark could attest to this because I called him up during those times and said, I should have just left. I should have stayed with Coca-Cola. I should have never went into ministry. I should have never moved into that next season with God. In 1996, Coca-Cola actually asked me to move to Los Angeles. And uh, we were that close to going. I flew my wife out there. And at that time, we had two of our five children. And uh, we looked at places in uh, the Los Angeles area. And I was ready to go. And I'd already made the decision, really, that we were out of here. And uh, I was in an elders meeting at an elders retreat. And I saw this big saw this vision with a picture of all of the elders in this big bed with a big quilt up to our chins. And God said, don't get out from under your covering. And it's one of those things where you're kind of like, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) I want to go. But I said, yes, sir. And that was my trek into full-time ministry and to the point where I am now. But in that season, and the season where we were... uh, Going from, I worked construction for five weeks. I worked maintenance for Three Rivers Park District. I worked, again, in UPS. I worked a contract job for General Mills in uh, food validation testing. But, beloved, when God takes us into the next trajectory, in the next season, he does that so that you can have influence on the people that you're involved with. And if I would have never resigned, if I would have never taken that step of faith to move away from my executive pastor role, I would have never come into contact with those people. So a couple stories. One is this, that I was sitting in a job transition group, uh, Minnesota Workforce Center, and I signed up for this class on behavioral-based interviewing. And it's all to prep you on how to interview and to respond to those questions, uh, you know, where they might say, like, brother, tell me about a time where you led a team that didn't report to you and you had to use your influencing skills and they weren't on board, but how did you get them on board? And so you you set yourself up with all these things. But I signed up for this class, and it was totally full. And uh, it was a day like today, a bad snowstorm. It was right after the first of the year, that year in 2009. Get to the class, and there's only four of us there. And uh, there's like 40 people signed up. And so the professor or the teacher of the class throws away the book, and he says, I'm just going to talk to you. You know, what is it that you really need? So we're sitting around the table and uh, there, were, there was a, another gentleman and two ladies. And the, the first lady breaks down. She said, you know, I really need help with dealing with the rejection. I've been working at this job for 10 plus years. And, uh, you know, if you've gone through job transition, you go through the announcement that you're being laid off, it's not an easy thing, right? And so she goes, 
I, you know, I gave my all to this company. It's all that my identity is wrapped up in, and now I'm being laid off. And so then the person next to uh, the gentleman next to her, and she starts crying, and the person next to him, this guy starts to cry and says, I'm doing the same thing. You know, my, my unemployment insurance won't pay for depression counseling. I'm really struggling. And then the woman across from them starts to break down and cry. You know, at one point it felt like a big, you know, we're all going to start crying. But it was really a tender moment. And I just shot it with both barrels for God. And I said, you know, I don't know where you go to church, if you go to church, and what your connection is with God. But you need to know that he loves you, that he's known you since you were, uh, even before you were created. And he, he, he has a, a plan for you, and your identity needs to be in him, and he will never let you down. But, you know, man will let you down, but God's never going to let you down. And you're going to come through this, and you're going to have provision. And they, I remember the, the teacher of the class looked at me like, can you say that? <laughs> and, but I just let it go because I didn't care. But it, it was because God put me in that circle to actually deposit into them. And when we were going through those things, it's, it's really cool. So in the end, one of those ladies reached out and asked me because I had just interviewed with Cargill for a position and uh, she said, you seemed really good at interviewing and really well prepped. And uh, she said, I need some help because I'm, you know, interviewing for this job. So I took her through what I did. Well, she calls back and writes this note. She said, you know, I ended up wanting to let you know I got this job out of 200 candidates. And she goes, if I would have never crossed your path and never uh, gotten the coaching that you gave me, I don't know that I would have gotten this job. And that was all because... I answered something that God said to me about stepping into the next season of what he would want me to do. Another really quick one, when I was with General Mills, they have these, uh, a lot of major corporations have your wellness programs. You sign up, you go on health walks, you track your activity for exercise. Well, they were having this walk um, around the Stone Arch Bridge down in downtown Minneapolis. And I'm like, you know, should I go down? Should I not go down? So I go down, and there ends up only being two people from this whole R&D center that show up and you have all these quality assurance directors uh, that are there. And so I end up going on a walk with the vice president of research and development for General Mills and all these quality directors that it's pretty tough to even get an audience with them at times. And they're asking me, so what are you doing here? What kind of job do you have? And I said, well, you know, actually I'm looking for a job. And uh, it was just a great connection. And because of that, I actually got an offer from General Mills to actually start to work for them. But again... It's about stepping in that season, and it's about looking at what does God have me to do in the season rather than me reacting. And you can just see real great examples in the area of Joseph's life, in the area of Daniel's life, on right reaction, and having them actually influence in the next season versus having the woe is me and the navel gaze in the next season. Because, beloved, in the season that we're in, in the next trajectory we're going as Bridgewood, right? We don't need a cruise ship. We need a battleship. It's not time to just kind of sit and wait and observe. It's a time to say, what is this next season and where are we going and what is our part and how are we going to have an effect that's pushing out versus a wait and see coming back in. Amen? So when I say all these things, I don't perceive that you have this kind of woe and go and check out spirit. I'm just talking to you about things that are commonplace to the human uh, psyche and the, her- the human spirit. When you listen to the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, what are some of the words in that verse? My heart's prone to wander, right? Uh, my affections are prone to look somewhere else. It's just a human condition. You see this all through the Israelites' journey with God and the deliverance. I mean, Moses really ends up being a great hero of the faith because 
in Numbers, as we go into it, uh, and this is the final thing, is, uh, and the word for the church is this, is to have a posture of Caleb in this next season. So when we look at Numbers in chapters 13 and 14, an example, we'll just talk about a couple things. Go to the next slide, please. This is what we know about when they send the spies in, some of the truths. The spies they send out are actually leaders. They're the leaders of the bands, leaders of the church, whatever you say. They're not just common folks, but they're true tried people that are leaders that go into the next land. And 10 of the 12 of these guys say, get intimidated and say, we can't do it. And so it's a message to leaders that we can look in this season. The, man, the land did flow with milk and honey. It was full of fruit, so there were good things. The spies did spend 40 days in the land. Caleb was 40 years old when he enters the land. And from the time that the Israelites leave Egypt, they test the Lord 10 times. Now, I use just four examples. But <clears throat> they get into this, this situation. Uh, you know, God just wants to smoke them. There's a couple of times where God just says, I've had it. You guys have tested me. I, I'm taking them out. There's going to be punishment. And Moses goes, you know, Lord, don't you think it would look just a little bad? You've uh, gone to the Egyptians. You've delivered them. You've pulled them out. And uh, now you're just going to smoke everybody in the desert. It's not going to look good on your resume. <laughs> you might want to have a little bit of more patience here, you know. And, and so God relents his heart. But again, he does inflict a punishment on the generation over 20 years old that doesn't have the right posture of faith doesn't have the can-do attitude, doesn't have the ability to say we want to believe and move forward. One year for every day they were there, so that's why you have the 40 years that they wander in the desert. But look at some of the examples of Caleb's posture and Caleb's right attitude in this time. <coughs> Excuse me. After the first response, after the spies report to the people, that the cities are large and they're fortified, Caleb comes back, silences the people before Moses and says, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He just has the faith. It's like a childlike thing. God said what can happen. He's given to us. We know the land is good. We can do it. We don't have to wait and see. We don't have to check out time. We don't have to look in the rearview mirror. The second time is this. It's, it's the second bad report, and it's after the beginning of verse 14 where they want to stone Moses and the leaders and move on. He said, the land we pass through is floored is exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people in the land because we will devour them. And their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Next one, the Lord rewards Caleb and his family and his, inher- and his inheritance for his heart and his posture. It says this, but because this, my spirit Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Now you talk about these people that were picked, the 12 leaders. You know, Caleb had a different spirit. He had a wholeheartedness. He had a heart like David. He had a posture that was, we can. Yes, God, we're going to move forward. The last one is this. They're spared, so the end of the story in, in Numbers 14. And I just encourage you to go home and read chapter 13 and 14. Not a long read, full of a ton of detail. But God puts a plague on the ten spies that didn't walk wholeheartedly, that didn't have the attitude that we can, that didn't want to walk in the promise of God. And only uh, Joshua and Caleb and their inhabitants are the ones that survived that. The other ten spies die. They're smoked out. 
The rest of the story, the Israelites, you know, after this all comes back, Moses talks to them. They're like, oh, we're sorry, we didn't obey. Oh, give us another chance, we'll go now. And God says, no, man, it's too late. He goes, no, really, we want to go, let's go. We got the faith now, we can do it, let's do it. <laughs> we're good, we repent. They're like, no, man, don't go. They go, and they get kicked by all these guys uh, as they go up and try to fight against them. But can you imagine then again the posture that Caleb and Joshua have to go through? They have to camp out with the rest of these people for 40 years and wait for that promise, even though they had the right spirit and they had the right attitude. So what does this mean, Bridgewood, going forward? As we enter the new season, uh, will Caleb's words ring out? Will you hear that spirit? Don't rebel against a God. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with us. The land is good and we can do this. You know, will God say of Bridgewood that we have a different spirit, that we wholeheartedly follow him? I believe so. I believe that spirit is there. I believe that opportunity is there. But again, today is just an opportunity to say human condition, flesh, the human spirit is always prone to want to look in the rearview mirror. And, you know, we all have Egypts. We all have sweet spots. We all have times where we look back and say, man, you remember when Tom Stewart was a pastor here? Oh, man, that was great. Spirit was moving. People were getting slain. People were coming to the Lord. Oh, can't. Can we have that time again? Can we just go back? What about Mark Spencer? Whew, what about that guy? Pastoral, loves me, makes me feel deposited, has counseled me through situations, has put me on a right course correction. Can't we just have that? So I want to encourage you as your next leader takes over to do your leader a favor and to walk with a Caleb spirit and that Caleb mentality. And say, surely we can do this. Because there's a new land that he has us to take. We're not going to go with a different filter and a different template and try to throw that template forward. But we have to give that opportunity when we're looking for seasons of breakthrough and our seasons of provisions and times of security and looking for that next vision. That we give ourselves to the process and say, Lord, our trajectory as Bridgewood is to be impactful in this next season of God. Amen? Wow, i got three minutes left. So this, I want to encourage you to, I was just listening to, so, you know, I'm a blue-collar farm boy at heart, and I've been kind of shoved into the white-collar world. Um, yeah, and so it's, uh, so when I'm home and just kind of debriefing or just kind of trying to relax, you know, I put on uh, Saturday morning the Bluegrass station, 88.5, and just listen to that. But I was listening to this song that was an old-fashioned bluegrass song, but it was really written about a sea story that took place in the late 1700s and 1800s and how the people that were on this journey, the this, this ship actually wrecks, right, and they, they perish. But when you talk about people going on a journey together, you think about the pilgrims that left because of spiritual exile um, and they were moving into the next season. They didn't have the security of everything's going to be okay. They didn't have an opportunity to look in the rearview mirror of that ship. They got on the ship with full faith, and they came. And when they land in Massachusetts, and they have like 51 people on board, half of them perished the first winter because they don't have the right provision, because they don't have the right thing. But can you imagine what their posture is when they're boarding that ship in England to actually come? What their trajectory and their faith is? It isn't about, oh, things could just be so good if we stayed here. But it was wholeheartedly saying, we're going forward, whatever comes, whatever's at, 
at bay or whatever comes our way. We're going to take it and embrace it full on. Right? Can we stand up together as we finish the close? Is that all right? And then you're coming to wrap? All right. So worship band, you can make your way back up. Lord, you love Bridgewood. You love the people. Father, I pray that as we move in this next season, Lord God, that you would give full force and full throttle, not only to Brendan and to the team that he establishes, but into the people of the church, Lord God. So, Father, as they, uh, they are moving and believing God for breakthroughs, Father, for provision, Lord, even though there's times of insecurity, Lord, and there's an impatience sometimes with, are you moving fast enough, Lord, that you would just start to work in our lives. Father, we love you. We speak faith into our own beings, Lord God. We align ourselves with your Holy Spirit and what you want to do. Thank you, Lord. Bless us, Jesus. Amen. Amen.